Good morning again, dear friends. Good to see you this morning. If you have your Bible with you, let's go ahead and get that out. And let's make our way to the Gospel of Luke, to Luke the 13th chapter. I want to ask you to go to Luke chapter 13 with me. And I want to read starting with verse number 1. In Luke, the 13th chapter, beginning with verse number 1, the Bible says, Now on the same occasion, there were some present who reported to him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. And Jesus said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered this fate? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you all likewise perish. Or do you suppose that those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them were worse culprits than all the men who lived in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you all likewise perish. When, when did this happen? When did this occur? When did these horrible events that we read about here in these verses take place? I ask you that because outside of the Gospel of Luke, there isn't any other historical records of them. Matthew, Mark, and John don't mention these things in any of their inspired writings. Josephus doesn't mention them in any of his writings. Tacitus doesn't mention them in any of his writings. Luke is the only historian to tell us anything about these horrific events. And brothers and sisters, these are truly horrific events. These are truly awful events. They are examples that show us how 2,000 years ago, in the time of Jesus, people suffered. Bad things happened to them. Tragic events sometimes popped up out of nowhere in their lives. In the case of some Galileans, according to verse number one, we learn that there was a time when a bunch of them were murdered by Pilate. Pilate, that's right, that Pilate, Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor of Judea who handed Jesus over to be crucified. There was a time when he murdered a bunch of innocent Galileans and he mixed their blood with sacrifices. And then in verse number four, Jesus tells us about some other people who had a tower fall on them. Jesus says there were 18 people standing next to a tower in Siloam, and it fell on them. It collapsed and killed them. Talk about another horrible, horrible tragedy. And let me just ask you, do we also live in a time of horrible tragedies? Do we also live in a time where, where this kind of stuff happens to people every single day? You better believe that, that we also live in a time like that. You better believe that we also live in a time where this kind of stuff happens to people all the time. Terrorist attacks happen. Innocent children being sexually abused and killed in drive-by shootings happen. 
Innocent people being killed by drunk drivers happen. Cancer happens. Plane crashes happen. Natural disasters happen. Even people being murdered in places of worship, like what you find here in Luke chapter 13, verse 1. That happens today. That's exactly why we got a guy in the parking lot right now with a gun on him. This kind of stuff happens in our time, all the time. And then think about, think about what's been going on in the Ukraine. Think about all those horrific scenes that you've seen come across your television over the last several weeks. Think about the bloodshed and the families being separated and the homes being destroyed and people, people having to flee from their homeland and even think about Christians, some of God's people over there who've had their lives changed forever. You see, unfortunately, like in the time of Jesus, we also live in a world where tragedy and suffering affects so many people. And I guess a question for us to think about this morning is the question of why? Why does this happen? Why does suffering happen? Why do bad things happen to people in this life, believe it or not, but this is one of the big questions that weaves its way throughout the Bible. If you remember from our Bible reading last year, this is the question that the book of Job explores. And this is the question that many of the Psalms explore. And this is the question that was asked of Jesus in John chapter 9. Do you remember what happened in John chapter 9? Remember in John chapter 9, we read about a time when Jesus and his disciples came across a man who was born blind. He, he was born without the ability to see anything. He had never seen anything before in his life. And the disciples of Jesus want to know, why is that man like that? Why is that man blind? Why is that man suffering? Is this man blind? Was he, was he born in that condition because of sin? Was this man born like this because his parents were wicked and terrible sinners, was sin tied to this man's condition? That is exactly what Job's friends accused him of in the book of Job. And that also appears to be the accusation made against the Galileans in Luke chapter 13 and verse number one. For thousands and thousands of years, mankind has been trying to figure out why in the world do people suffer in this life? And I understand that there are certainly many answers that we can explore in the Bible when it comes to this. But maybe a more important question for us as Christians is the question of why does God allow it to happen to us? Why does God allow people like us to suffer? Why does God allow people like us who love him and read our Bibles and we pray and we gather together on a Sunday in this place to worship him? Why does he allow us to experience horrible tragedies in this life? Why does he allow us to experience the loss of a child? 
Why does he allow us to lose our jobs? Why does he allow us to get sick with things like cancer? Or to lose our homes in a hurricane or in a tornado? Why does God allow some of his people in the Ukraine to have their country invaded and ravaged? Why does God allow us as his people to suffer in this life? What possible good could God be doing for us by allowing suffering and horrible things to occur in our lives? Well, I want to suggest this morning that according to the Bible, I believe there are four good things, four good things that God can bring about in our lives by allowing us to suffer. And the first thing is this, the first thing, the first reason why God allows us to suffer at times in this life, according to the Bible, is because through suffering, he can refine us. He can refine us. We you go in your Bible, please, to 1 Peter. Let's get our Bibles out. Go, please go to 1 Peter chapter 1. I'm going to invite you to 1 Peter chapter 1. And as you turn in your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 1, let me just be clear about what I'm saying here in this sermon. In this sermon, I am not suggesting at all, please do not come up to me and say I suggest this, because I am not suggesting that God is the source of our suffering. I am not saying that God is the one that brings about suffering in our lives. That is not the point of this sermon. The point of this sermon is why does God allow it to occur at times in our lives? Why does he sit back and allow it to take place at times? That's the point. And so Peter has some things to say about that as he talks to Christians in the first century who were suffering persecution. They were suffering because they were faithful followers of Jesus Christ. And so in 1 Peter chapter 1 and in verse number 6, Peter says to the people of God in this, verse 6, you greatly rejoice even though for a little while, if necessary, notice that language, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. Why are we being distressed by various trials? Verse 7, so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Please put that what you find in 1 Peter chapter 4, please. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse number 12. In 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 12, as Peter continues to explore this idea, he says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery, fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your, here it is, for your testing. You see that? Which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you, but to the degree that you share in the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. What is, Pete, what is Peter saying here about suffering in the lives of Christians? Well, simply put, here in these verses, Peter is saying that through the sufferings, through the sufferings we experience at times in this life, God can do something for us. God can refine us. God can test us. God can make us better. God can mold us. God can shape us. God can develop us into, become, into becoming more the kind of people that he wants us to be. He can do that to us just like fire does it to gold. Just like fire refines gold, trials, the Bible says, can refine us. Trials 
can make us better. Trials can remove things from our lives that God wants to be removed. Trials can actually reveal whether or not we are real and genuine and authentic in our service to Jesus Christ. You see, my friends, it is easy. It is easy to serve God when life is going okay. It is easy to serve God when our lives are stable and they are predictable and everything is working out in the way that we desire. Our jobs are working out in the way that we desire. School is working out in the way that we desire. Everybody likes us. Everybody wants to be our friends. We're healthy. Our wife is healthy. Our, our husband is healthy. Our kids are healthy. Our grandkids are healthy. Our relationships are healthy. We're surrounded right now by a bunch of people who love God and they pray and they read their Bible and they're going to pat me on my back once we say amen at the closing prayer. It is easy to serve God in an environment like that and when our daily lives are working out in the exact way that we want them to, but what about when life gets uncomfortable? What about when life gets miserable and chaotic? What about when we hear bad news from the doctor? Or if we lose our job? Or if we have pain in our body every single day or if one of our children or grandchildren dies, what do we do then? How do we respond to that kind of suffering? Do we blame God for that suffering that comes in our lives? Or do we stop and maybe view that suffering as something that God is allowing to be in our lives because he wants to make us better? I know that's challenging to think that way. I get it. I struggle with that. But it is what the Bible teaches. It's what the Apostle Paul taught. I want to show you in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, please, because Paul thought this way in his life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and look at verse number 7. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse number 7, Paul talks about all these revelations that he had received from God because he was an apostle of Jesus Christ. And he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse number 7, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implore the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weaknesses, so the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I'm well content. Notice that language. I'm well content, Paul says, with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties. For Christ's sake, for when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Notice how Paul says how even though, even though he was an apostle, Okay, he's an apostle. Even though he's a special ambassador of Jesus Christ, even though he saw the risen Savior on the Damascus Road and he had the ability to perform miracles and the ability to impart miraculous spiritual gifts to other Christians, even though he received direct revelation from the Holy Spirit himself, Paul says that he still suffered. Paul says that he's still experience pain and problems in his life. In fact, at this particular time, he says his problem is a thorn. 
he says he's got a thorn in his flesh. Now, he doesn't tell us exactly what that thorn is. All we know is whatever this thorn was, it was making his life miserable. It was bringing some suffering in his life. He wanted this thorn gone. He wanted it removed from his life. In fact, he says that he prayed to God three times about it. He told God or he asked God, please take this thorn away from me. You know what God said? God said, no. God said, I'm not going to take it away. I'm not going to remove this out of your life. Instead, I'm going to keep it right where it is. Because it has a purpose. It has a good purpose. Paul says that through this thorn, God was going to keep him humble. And more depended in him because evidently pride was a pitfall that the Apostle Paul could have easily have fallen into in his life. Paul says that through this thorn, God was refining him. God was making him better. God was using a source of suffering to make Paul stronger and more dedicated in his service to Jesus Christ. That is how God used suffering in the time of the Apostle Paul and my dear friends, that's also how he continues when he sees fit to use it at times in our lives today. While for people of the world, while for people of the world, suffering and trials often leads them to bad things. It leads them at times to atheism. And it leads them at times to divorce and bitterness and hostility towards God and other people, while for the people of the world, trials and suffering leads them down a dark path for people like Paul, for real, genuine and authentic disciples of Jesus Christ. God often uses sufferings and trials to make us better. To help us grow, to help us grow in our humility and our dependence in him and in prayer and in perseverance. You do understand, brothers and sisters. And we need perseverance if we're going to please God. We, we need perseverance if we're going to be like Jesus Christ. Perseverance is one of those qualities that Jesus had in his life and Job had in his life and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob had in their lives and Daniel had in his life and Moses had in his life and all the people that we can read about in Hebrews chapter 11. It is also something mentioned by Peter, if you remember in 2 Peter 1 and verse 6. Remember in 2 Peter 1 and verse 6, Peter says that in addition to having qualities like virtue and knowledge and brotherly kindness and love and godliness, we also got to have perseverance. Peter says that perseverance, that is an unwillingness to give up on our service to God no matter what we go through, perseverance is necessary in the life of a Christian. The question is, how do we get that? How do we grow in that? How do we get in these situations where we are forced to press on and our love and our service to God? Well, I submit that one of the ways we get that perseverance is at times we got to suffer. We have to sit back and trust God as he allows trials to exist in our lives. You see, while suffering is painful, while it hurts, it stresses us out. It brings anxiety on us. It keeps us up late at night. It hurts our family members and our friends. Through it, though, God 
God can work. God may can do his best work while we're suffering. God can develop qualities in our lives that we got to have if we're going to be more like his son, Jesus Christ. Sometimes God will allow us to suffer when he sees fit to refine us. And maybe we can add to that by saying that sometimes God allows us to suffer to equip us. To equip us to help other people. Will you go in your Bible, please, to 2 Corinthians chapter 1? 2 Corinthians chapter 1, please. I want you to listen to, uh, what, to what the Apostle Paul has to say in those verses, please. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and in verse number 3, in verse 3, Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us. Notice how God comforts us in our affliction, so that, here's the reason why, we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God, for just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. What is Paul saying there? Well, Paul is saying there that sometimes, sometimes God will allow us to go through rough times and periods of suffering in this life to equip us. To, to equip us to help others. To equip us to comfort others. To equip us to be tools and vessels that he can use to relate to other people who may be going through the same thing in their lives. Do you see that? You see that in the text? That's what Paul is saying there. And I wonder, I wonder how often we think about that. I wonder how often we ponder on that. I wonder during the times when we're going through these rough times and we're suffering in this life and the suffering is painful and it's bringing anxiety and a deep maybe level of depression. I wonder if we stop and ever consider how in that moment God could be doing something with me. God could be equipping me to help somebody I love, particularly my brother or my sister in Christ. If you know of somebody... If you know of somebody in this church right now who's battling cancer, they're battling cancer, and you've also fought that battle in the past, and God blessed you to wage that battle successfully, I want you to understand something. I want you to understand that you are equipped right now to help your brother or sister. You are equipped right now in a very special way. You are equipped right now to relate to them and comfort them in a way that few other people in this church can. The same is also true if you've lost a child. If you suffered a miscarriage. If you've had to bury a spouse. If you face uncertainties on your job, if you shed many tears over a prodigal child, if you've ever faced a public spiritual failure while going through these kinds of things hurt. They bring pain on us. They bring intense emotional pain in our lives. They still can equip us. They can equip us. In a special way, they can be they can be experiences that God uses 
to allow us to be a source of comfort in the lives of other people. God can use our bad circumstances as a tool to help other people who are facing the same things. That is what Paul is saying there in those verses. And maybe if we challenged ourselves to start thinking that way, we would avoid isolating ourselves from other people. We would avoid being spiritual hermits. We would maybe be more open about our problems and we'll make ourselves more available to share our problems with other people. Maybe if we thought like this more, we would strip ourselves of pride and put on some humility. And we'll get rid of this need to always be so private and I want to keep my business to myself. Maybe we'll get rid of that nonsense kind of attitude and allow God to use our experiences, however bad they might be, to comfort other people. To be there for other people. To share with other people. Maybe if we thought like Paul is teaching, when life starts getting hard for us. We won't shut fellow disciples out of our lives. We won't close other people out of our lives, but we will let them help us. We will let them bear our burdens. We will let them use their, their experience that they went through in the way that God wants it to be used. And that is as a source of encouragement to us. Because maybe we're the ones suffering in that moment. Why does God allow us to suffer at times? Well, sometimes he lets it happen to refine us and to equip us. And let's just also say that sometimes he does this to reveal his glory. To reveal his glory. We go in your Bibles, please, to John chapter 11. In John chapter 11, this is the chapter, if you remember, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead here in John chapter 11. And in John chapter 11 and verse number 14, Jesus said to his disciples, Lazarus, Lazarus is dead. And I'm glad for your sakes that I was not here so that you may believe, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Now drop down to verse number 40, please. In verse number 40, after Martha converses with Jesus for a time, that's the sister of Lazarus. In verse 40, Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see what? The glory of God. So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you will always hear me, but because of the people standing around, I said so that they may believe that you sent me. Here in this chapter, we got a bunch of people suffering. We got Lazarus suffering to the point of death. We got his sisters, Martha and Mary, suffering as they grieve over his death. There are a lot of people suffering in this chapter. But the Bible says their suffering had a purpose. Their suffering had a very important purpose. The purpose of their suffering was to be an avenue to reveal the glory of God. It was to be an avenue to bring people to faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That's what's going on there. There's also what's going on back in John 9. Go back to John chapter 9, please. Remember that blind man we mentioned earlier? The blind guy, who was, the man who was born blind? John chapter 9 and verse 1 says, As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. 
And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? You see, during the time of, of this time of Jewish society, it was common to believe that if you had problems in your life, if you were suffering, then, then you got to be a bad sinner. God's got to be working against you. You're an enemy of God. And so they said, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? Jesus answered, it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no man can work. Like in the case of Lazarus and the things he went through in his suffering, this blind man's suffering also provided an avenue for the glory of God to be revealed. It also provided an avenue for people at that time to see the wonderful work of God. Brother Chad mentioned Joseph and his Lord supper remarks. Joseph is a great example of someone who understood this. If you remember, after being sold into slavery by his brothers and after being falsely accused of trying to sexually assault Potiphar's wife, he spends time in prison. And it's only several years later when he has reached a high position in Egypt in Genesis chapter 50, that Joseph says to his brothers, you did what you did. You sold me into slavery to do evil. You meant that for evil, but God meant it for what? He meant it for good so that I can preserve. He can use me to preserve the lives of my family. Joseph was someone who understood looking back God's glory and purpose that was being revealed through his suffering and we also see this at the, at the beginning of the book of Exodus. Remember, at the, book of, at the beginning of Exodus, we find the children of Israel going into slavery while they suffered as slaves. For hundreds and hundreds of years in Egyptian bondage, God's glory was being revealed. God was building them. God was nurturing them. God was developing them into this great nation that would bring the Messiah into the world. God used their suffering as an avenue to reveal his glory to the world. In fact, the greatest example we have of this is, is Jesus. You see, through Jesus' suffering on a cross, God's glory and love was being revealed by the Lord providing an avenue for us to receive forgiveness for our sins. In all of these cases, my friends, God's glory it's being revealed through suffering. And just like God did that in Bible times, guess what? He's still doing that today. He's still doing that today when a Christian is stricken with a terrible sickness, but they continue to praise God and thank God and commit themselves to loving God and doing his will. Guess what's going on in that moment? God's glory is being revealed. God's glory to the world is being revealed through that disciple's commitment and dedication to the gospel. When a Christian, when a Christian couple loses a child and they draw closer to each other, they love each other more, they hold each other, they treat each other as a godly husband and wife instead of allowing that tragedy to lead them to divorce, which often happens in our society. You know what's going on in that moment? God's glory is being revealed. God's glory is being revealed through them because they are dedicated 
to the institution of marriage that he created in the beginning. When a Christian couple or a Christian family loses their home in a hurricane or a flood or a tornado, but other Christians come together to provide aid to those struggling people, guess what's going on? God's glory is being revealed. God's glory is being revealed through the love his people are showing each other during a difficult circumstance. And when a Christian, like my friend I've told you about, who's a gospel preacher and the writer of our song, Exalted, when he gets diagnosed with ALS. And he's only in his early 40s and he has two small children, but he continues to say things like, I love God and I give praise to God and I want to serve God and I hope that God can use my suffering to his glory. When a Christian like that says that kind of stuff after being stricken with a terrible disease, guess what's going on? God's glory is being revealed. God's glory is being revealed through the love that his people have for him, no matter what they are going through. What I just want you to see is sometimes God allows us to suffer so that the world can learn just how much God is able to change people so that his glory can be revealed. And let's close by saying that sometimes God allows us to suffer to keep us focused. We got to stay focused, don't we? I want you to go in your Bible, please, to Revelation. Revelation chapter 21. I'm pretty sure you're familiar with these passages, but I think they're appropriate here. In Revelation chapter 21, and in verse number 1, Revelation 21 and verse 1, the Apostle John says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there's no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people and God himself will be among them, and he will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no longer any death, no longer any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. Here's my question. Are we experiencing that right now? Do we have that right now? Right now, do we have an existence on this earth where there's not any mourning, any tears, any pain, any death? You and I both know we're not living that right now. We don't have any of that right now. In fact, we are reminded about that all the time. We are reminded about that when we read our Bibles, when we read a chapter like Luke 13, and we read about people who were murdered unjustly, who were killed unjustly by Pilate. Or we read about a tower falling on 18 people and killing them out of nowhere. We're reminded of this stuff when, when we witness what's going on in the Ukraine right now. We're reminded of this every time we have to announce the death of a brother or sister who was part of this church. We're reminded of this every time we hear of natural disasters that devastate certain parts of this world. Or when we hear about cases of violence in our communities or even if we observe an accident take place on the 202 as we head home after services today. You see, all the time we're being reminded that life on this planet is not safe. Death is unavoidable. This world is broken and is full of problems. And you know who we can thank for that? We can thank Adam and Eve for that. 
You see, while the atheist believes, the atheist believes that this life is all there is. And once you die, there's done. You're done. And there's nothing left to come. While the atheist thinks this life is all there is and he doesn't anticipate anything better for believers, we know that because Jesus died on a cross and because he was raised from the dead, heaven is real. Eternity is real. God is real. And if we remain faithful to God, we can anticipate an existence where there's no suffering that awaits us after this life. I want to show you one more place in your Bible, and then we're going to be done. I want to show you 2 Corinthians one more time. 2 Corinthians. I love 2 Corinthians. Great book. Chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And listen to what Paul said in verse 17. And 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and in verse 17, as Paul kind of sums up all the bad things he went through in his life, all the sufferings, the persecutions, the thorn in the flesh. Look at what he says in chapter 4 in verse 17. He says, he calls these things momentary <laughs> light affliction. Notice how he describes his suffering. He says, for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but of the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. There in those verses, Paul is challenging us. He's challenging us to see sufferings in this life for what they really are, and that is temporary. That is momentary. That is light afflictions when compared to the blessings that we have waiting for us in eternity. You see, my friends, if we didn't experience any sufferings in this life, we might fool ourselves then to believe that we're in heaven already. We might fool ourselves into believing that we're already on the streets of gold, but we are not on the streets of gold. We are not in heaven. We're not Yet in this place that's being described for us in the book of Revelation, living in that place is a prize that we're still trying to gain. And sufferings in this life can motivate us to press on and gain it. It can motivate us to stay focused. It can drive us to make sure we never lose our attention on gaining that reward with God. What I just want you to see is while there are many causes of suffering in this life, and we could have talked about that, while there are many causes of suffering, sometimes God allows it to take place in our lives because then he can work. Then he can do some of his best work. In fact, the greatest work that God has accomplished through suffering is the work of redemption. It's the work of salvation. It is the work of allowing his son to suffer on a cross so we can be saved from our sins. Through the sufferings of Jesus Christ, we're able to have hope right here and right now. And if there's someone here this morning who needs to respond to that hope found in Jesus Christ, we're going to give you an opportunity to do that this morning. If you need to be baptized for the remission of your sins, we have clothes, we have water. We'll be more than happy to baptize you. Or if you're a Christian here who's 
needs to be restored into fellowship with God and his people through repentance or if you just need prayers. Because maybe you're suffering right now in your life and you just need some encouragement. Whatever spiritual needs you may have this morning, come to the front right now. Let's stand. Let's sing together.